Welcome to the Celebration Church Orlando podcast. Thank you so much for listening today. We hope it encourages you and inspires you. Here's today's message. If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to join me in Romans chapter 14. Romans chapter 14. We're going we're gonna to spend our time there. I'm going to be quoting and, and referencing um, quite a few passages of Scripture. Some of them I'll read. Some of them um, I'll just reference. Um, so for you note takers, just get ready. I'm going to reference a bunch of Scriptures. That way I can kind of help to reinforce some of the things we're going to be talking about. I'm, I'm really excited um, about this series, and I'm also simultaneously sad because um, it's coming to an end. Like, I think next week is going to be the last week that we're in this Roman series, and I realize that in my heart, we haven't done it justice, which is why we've said, make sure that you're reading this book on your own. Get it translation of the Bible that you understand. Get a Bible dictionary. Get some support, but fully, fully engage yourself in the Scripture because there's so many topics and themes that we only reference or that we couldn't fully go into just for the sake of time. But it is one of my favorite books of the Bible. And each week we've been unpacking these different ideas and themes inside of the book of Romans expressed through this concept of grace. And, and last week, man, how many of you guys heard Pastor Vinny's message last week? It, it, was, it was really good. And for those of you that uh, clapped and applauded and actually listened to the message, it was great, but I'm going to tell you why Vinny was wrong. For those that paid attention, you know what I'm doing there. I should have just like did a whole like first heads of my message, the anti-Vinny message. Um, if you didn't catch the message last week, then you'll know exactly what I'm talking about if you go back and check it out. But it was such an incredible message. And as you can see, each week we're talking about this idea of grace and how grace upgrades us. We've been, we've been looking at these varying things of grace and how grace is life-giving and it moves us forward. But, but as Vinny instructed us, grace also empowers us and it challenges us and it lets us know that we have a part to play that we're called to do something with the grace that has been extended to us. And so today, I want to continue in that line of thought. Now, before I jump into the text that we're about to read, I want to give us some context. It's really important for us to really immerse ourselves in the context in which the scripture was written so we can understand what it is the writer is trying to help to communicate with us. Now, you've heard us say that the church in Rome um, was filled with Jews and Gentile. And and if you've been around us long enough, then you understand the the distinction between the Jews. The, The Jews are God's chosen people, the ones that God has identified and said, it's through this lineage, I'm going to bring the Messiah that's going to bring um, salvation to the entire world. The Jews were God's selected people to usher in the Messiah. The Gentiles are everyone who's not Jewish, literally everyone who's not Jewish. And, And so what you'll learn is from the Jews, from the time we read the Old Testament, we see God engaging them and in essence, telling them how he wants them to function. And some of those instructions were places they could go, places they couldn't go. Things they could do, things that they couldn't do. Things they could eat, things that they couldn't eat. Places they, things they could drink, things that they couldn't drink. God was doing all these things so that in the world where people didn't have access to God, that they could look at the people of God and say, okay, that's what it means to be set apart. So now we understood that that is what it meant to be a Jewish person that is following the one true God, Yahweh. Powerful moment. Then Jesus comes on the scene. And he begins to kind of disrupt some of, those, some of those patterns and rhythms that came into place. And so people are a little confused. That's why we see when Jesus is doing ministry in the gospel that the Jews, the, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, these Jewish people, they were, they were conflicted because they're like, wait a minute, like we were told all these years to stay away from some of these people and you just out here hanging out like it's all good. Make it make sense, Jesus. So Jesus is trying to help them to understand, like, he's going to fulfill every single one of those rules. I'm going to fulfill every single one of them, because if we're honest, you couldn't do it anyway. You were doing a terrible job at it. So I'm going to come, I'm going to do it for you, and then you can live in freedom through me. 
Beautiful idea, beautiful idea. So Jesus does this. He lives this perfect life. He gets persecuted. He ends up getting crucified. He rises from the dead. And now this powerful idea of salvation is birth. He died the death that we couldn't die. He lived a life that we couldn't live. And he was resurrected so that we're now empowered and freed from the penalty of sin and death, hell, and the grave. That's enough for us to celebrate the goodness of God over. So now he goes up into heaven, and then we know the Great Commission. He tells his Jewish disciples, now go, offer to every single one of the nations, those nations that I called you to be separate from, go into them and let them know that there's a pathway for them to experience this precious salvation that's now made available. They're like, okay, cool, we're going to go. But now the tension becomes... Do, do we go and we bring all of our traditions and rhythms with us? Do, do, we, do we go? And so now the Gentiles are now being exposed to the gospel. This is what the book of Acts says. We're seeing Gentiles be exposed to the gospel. But if I could be honest with you, they don't have the baggage that the Jews had. They don't have all the rules and all those regulations. So they hear, wait a minute. You mean that I can love God? I can worship God? I can still keep some of my culture and customs? And, and, and I don't have to do all this other stuff? Cool. I'm Sign me up for that faith. So, so the Gentiles are living their best life. A little bit too much, if we can be quite honest, but, but nonetheless, they're doing the best they can. So now the, the Jewish believers are looking at them and saying, bro, you are wrong. How, how dare you eat that food? Do you not know that that food is not kosher? Do, do you not recognize that that food was actually offered up to a, to a, to a false idol? Do you not realize that those drinks were, were poured out for demonic spirits? How dare you do that? And so the Gentiles are like, bro, first and foremost, back up. Secondly, yo, these things don't even mean anything to me. I prayed over it. It's all good. So now this is the tension that is existing inside of the Roman church. Paul is recognizing that the Jewish believers are looking at the Gentile believers and saying, hey, you guys aren't really saved because I can see it in your behavior. The Gentile believers are saying, hey, I'm freed from all of that stuff, so I don't need to do that, so you guys need to catch up. If I could put it in terms that we could probably understand, brace yourself, It was basically a faith that was expressed in a liberal expression and a conservative expression. I just want to prepare y'all that I will step on everyone's feet during the course of this message. No one is safe today. Stay tuned. This is the context of the message. This is the context of what Paul is writing to with the Roman church, a church that is on the verge of being completely divided and split because one believes it looks this way and another believes that it should look this way and it is causing pure anarchy. So Paul comes in and says, like, man, I got I to gotta regulate this because it's not God's will for you to create different churches and different denominations. If you notice in the Bible, there are no denominations. It has never been the will of God for the people of God to be divided into the way that they want to express their love for God. Vinny, I need to move on, right? I have time. Are you sure, Vinny? You know what that means for me. So now we have this tension. We have this drama that has been building up. Churches that are on the verge of splitting. So, so Paul says, I need to come in and pastor y'all. Let me help y'all really, really quick. So now we find ourselves in Romans chapter 14. Keep all that tension, all that drama that I just shared with you, and now listen to the words that I'm about to read to you. So here's what Paul says. Accept other believers who are weak in the faith and don't argue with them about what they think is right or wrong. For instance, one person believes it's all right to eat anything, but another believer with sensitive conscience will only eat vegetables. 
those who feel free to eat anything must not look down on those who don't. And those who eat, who don't eat certain foods must not condemn those who do. For God has accepted them. For God has accepted them. Whether you eat, whether you don't eat, God has accepted them. Whether you're liberal, whether you're conservative, God has accepted them. God has accepted them. And then he says, who are you anyway to condemn someone else's servant? He's pulling in the Roman context because there were slaves and different masters gave their slaves different rules. So he's saying, who are you to judge another household servants if we only recognize that we are all servants of the most high God? If some things God will put on us, he won't put on other. Let me keep moving. Who are you to judge another household servant? Their own master will judge whether they stand or fall. And it's with the Lord's help they will stand and receive approval. Verse number five, in the same way, some think one day is more holy than another, while others think one day is just like, just alike. You should each fully convince that whichever day you choose is acceptable, those who worship the Lord on a special day, do it in honor of him. Those who eat food, do it so in honor of the Lord. Since God, they give thanks to God before eating, and those who refuse to eat certain food also are pleasing to the God because they give thanks to God. For we don't live of ourselves and we don't die of ourselves. If we live, it's in honor of God. That means if we do things that we want to feel free in, that's an honor to God. If we die, that means if I sacrifice certain things, it's in order to honor God. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Christ died and rose for this very purpose, for us to be free in how we choose to express our faith for him. So why do you condemn another believer? Why do you look down on another believer? Remember, we all will stand before God for ourselves. We are about to have some fun in here today. Because I'm honestly of the opinion that the drama and the tension that we see in the Roman church is the exact same drama and tension that we see in the church today. And, and Jesus is saying, enough is enough. Knock it off. Everyone is going to stand before me and who do you think you are that you can determine what it means to be saved and what it doesn't? Fall back. And as this message title is called, stay in your lane. Let's pray and let's get into this thing today. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you so much for your people, God, and I thank you for an opportunity for us to gather. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that you give us open eyes that we can see you, open ears to truly hear what it is your spirit is speaking to us, and open hearts to receive everything that you want to deposit into us today. Transform us, inspire us, challenge us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen and amen. I, I would say that when I was younger, I was a neighborhood um, athlete. I, I was incredibly athletic. Now, when I say athletic, I mean, I, I couldn't play basketball and I couldn't play football, but I was very fast. I just had natural speed. And so in the neighborhood, I was the person that you had to be in every race. Like people would bring their family members into the town and be like, look, they come knock on my door, be like, is Keith there? And I come out, I'm like, what's up? Like my cousin want to race you. I'm like, right back. Go outside, smoke them. I mean, I should have been charging money. I was so good at this thing. So I was very, very fast when I was coming up. So when I get into middle school, um, I'm, I'm in middle school and I don't actually like try out for any sports. But here I am in gym class one day and I'm smoking everybody in a varying races. Remember, do they still have gym class nowadays? I don't even know if that's still a thing. Um, but Nicole told me they do. So she's a teacher. I trust her. Okay. So, so I would, I would, so the gym teacher saw me who also happened to be the track coach. He's like, Hey man, I, I need you on a team. I'm like, all right, bro. Say more. I'm a free agent right now. 
Um, he said, man, like, I got to get you on a team, man. You're, you're fast. Like, where have you ran before? I'm like, man, just in the neighborhood, running away from dogs and all that type of stuff. You pick up speed doing that. So, so now he's like, all right, great. Like, we have a meet coming up um, tomorrow. I would love for you to come and be on a team and, and run in the race. Great. I have not been to one single practice whatsoever. So I show up with just pure raw speed, and then I get into that 100-meter race, and I'm, I'm walking up, and I look around, and he's like, okay, Keith, all you got to do, because again, I'm not used to like any like real like rules. It's just like, hey, man, somebody's going to stand there and say, ready, set, go. And then you go, and then whoever wins is the winner. So that's what I'm used to. So he's like, okay, you got to get there. Then I learned about you got to get in a certain position. You got to pose up. So as I'm walking up and I'm sizing up the competition, I, I mean, I was a little dude, but I had, I had a lot of swag. I was like, these dudes don't even know what's about to happen right now. So I line up, go. I take off, and guys, I win. I smoke them. I'm walking around. I'm doing victory laps. I'm dancing. I'm, I mean, it's, it's crazy how fast I am. So then the coach comes to me. He's like, hey, man, listen, I'm going to bump one guy, and I want you to be on a relay race now. I need you to bring in. I need you to be the last leg on this race. All we need to do is get a sufficient amount of points, and we're going to win this thing. I didn't know how track worked. I didn't understand point systems. All I knew is that I'm going to run. Put me in a direction, and I'm going to go for it. So now he's like, okay, so here's what the relay is. Again, I have no training. So he's like, okay, there's going to be a part where you're going to be standing there waiting. You got to get in position. And they're going to come and they're going to hand you the baton. He keeps telling me, you got to open your hand up, wait till you feel it, grasp it, turn, tuck, and run. I'm like, okay, I got it. So in my mind, I'm thinking to myself, position, open, grab, tuck, run. Easy. So I see the guy coming. And as he's coming, I'm getting ready. And he's told me, like, hey, you can't cross this line. So as he comes, I didn't realize that you could actually start running in preparation. So I'm just standing there waiting. He hands it to me, and there's like, run! So I'm picking up my speed, and people are already ahead of me. So I got a lot of ground to make up at this point. But like I said, your boy got skills. So I'm moving, and I'm catching up, and I'm catching up. And I finally come around this corner, and, and there's this one guy. And the whole time, since we had this entire meet, he was talking a little bit of trash. I was talking trash. So as I'm running next to him, I don't know what it was inside of me. He's right next to me, and I just start looking at him. And I start seeing that he goes behind me, and I literally shake my head, and I keep moving forward. And I win the race, guys. I win. Where's the celebration, guys? I win the race, guys. <laughs> Affirm me. I mean, I'm a words of affirmation, God. I win. I win the race. I get to the end of the race, man, and I'm dancing. I'm doing a Michael Jackson moonwalk. This was the 80s. So I'm doing my thing. I'm all excited. And, and then my, and my coach comes to me. He's like, man, I, we were disqualified. Like, what are you talking about? He said, we were disqualified. Like, that, it, it didn't count. We, we, we've lost the meet. And I honestly did not understand what he was saying. I'm like, I am the fastest person out here. What are you talking about? He's like, Keith, we were disqualified. And I keep going on. I keep egging at him. I'm like, man, I'm the best person out here. And then he hit me with this. It doesn't matter how good you are if you lack the discipline to run in your lane. See, somebody's catching it. He said that when you were running and you looked over, you started coasting over into his lane. You actually cut him off, caused him to stumble, and that is why you ran with such an advantage. I never forgot those words. It doesn't matter how good you are if you're cutting into people's lane and you're causing them to stumble. When I look out at the church, we are so consumed with running and looking in other people's lanes, we don't realize that we've disqualified every impact that we could make because we're causing people to stumble with rules and regulations that God never told them to carry. I, I genuinely don't know how we got to the place where we feel like it's our responsibility to police everything. I don't know when we got to the place where we feel like we have to have a comment on every single thing. 
and, and we, we don't even know what it means to have discretion anymore. We don't even know what it means to meditate anymore. We feel like we have to be vocal about every single thing in the world and not realizing that when the world looks at us and says, hey, you're a representative of Christ, but I'm a firm believer that if you're representing the kingdom, then your behavior should represent the king. And unfortunately, we are doing things that are causing people to stumble. My God, I can't even, like, let me, let's, let's go here for a minute. We're in the middle of the pandemic. I'm minding my own Christian business in my front yard, coming back from the grocery store, bringing my groceries into my home on my property, and my neighbor three doors down comes up and says, hey, you know you don't have to wear a mask anymore. Now, I didn't have my mask on because I'm at home. I had my mask on my wrist. And I was like, I was like okay. He's like, he's like, yeah, you know, I mean, this, this, this virus isn't even real. I'm like, well, man, I, you know, I had it and thought I was going to die. But, you know, I guess it was all in my mind, psychosomatic, if you will. But, but okay, fine. For the next 45 minutes, he proceeds to angrily discuss how he's so disappointed at people who are wearing masks. And, and why are you wearing masks? And here's the thing. I'm not here to argue one side or the other. I genuinely don't care where you land on it. What I'm saying is, why are we so upset with something that somebody else chooses to do? Why, why do we feel that when I see you with a mask on, it infuriates me so much that I, I, I gotta go and say something to you? I, I, feel like I, I feel like I need, I'm, and as we sat there and talked for 40 minutes and I was trying to redirect the conversation, I finally just said, hey man, help me to understand why does this bother you so much? Help, help me to understand why, why is this a thing for you? Like, why, why is it what someone else chooses to do bothers you so much? He said, because we're free. And I'm like, so that means they're free to wear a ma Okay, I'll move on. <laughs> it's fascinating to me how we feel that it's our responsibility to police other people. I think that we just need to look at Jesus because if you notice Jesus, Jesus never forced himself onto anyone. Revelation 3.20 actually says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and they open the door and lets me in, then I will sit with them and we will have fellowship together. <laughs> Jesus tells his disciples, I want you to go out and reach people, but if they don't want to let you in, shake the dust off and keep it moving. Jesus consistently shows us through his ministry and through his life, he never forced himself onto anybody but somehow we've got it to the point where Jesus is saying, I come at the door and knock. We're like, nah, Jesus, move. I'm going to kick this door in. Somehow we believe it's our responsibility to move Jesus and tell him, hey, man, I got this. Let me kick this door in and let me rub. Let me, let me run who it is to be a Christian down people's throats. We're not realizing that we're causing people to stumble. Have you noticed that Jesus never says, let's take over the world with spiritual martial law? Because in the mind of Christ, he understood the difference between the kingdom and the empire. And unfortunately, I think that we think that our country is the kingdom and we have lost sight that it's the empire. What if we began to look at the world we live in as our mission field instead of our base of operations? That we begin to recognize that when I come to church, that's my base of operations. My home is my base of operation. But when I'm out in the world, I'm going to recognize that this is my mission field. Listen to me, friends. The job is not to get the world to look like the church. It's for the church to stop looking like the world. Jesus is saying to us, you are causing people to stumble. We are called to influence, not invade. 
We're called to inspire, not instigate. We're called to build bridges, not build wall. Jesus said, I want you to recognize, give to Caesar what is Caesar, but understand the things that belong to God. He was making it very clear that there's a distinction between the empire and the kingdom. When we come into the empire forcing the kingdom onto people, it is causing folks to stumble. I read a survey recently where it talks about people who are indifferent to the gospel. And you know, not a single person said they had an issue with Jesus. They had an issue with his believers. So it turns out the world isn't the biggest threat to the church. We are. Because they look at how we treat one another. They look at how we treat people who don't have a relationship with God and are saying to themselves, why would I want to be a part of something so divisive and mean spirit and that doesn't even look like the person who originated it? Paul is looking at this tension, and he's trying to help the Roman church to understand, hey, you guys are beefing with one another, and the world is watching. You guys are arguing with one another, and you're losing your opportunity to influence the world because you're acting like the world. He says, I need you to recognize that there is a difference between being a person who has a kingdom mindset and an empire mindset. And he was trying to help them to understand that in the kingdom, there is grace for our differences. In the kingdom, it may look a little bit different, and there's grace for that. Stop trying to force your ways onto people in a way that causes others to stumble. He introduces this concept that we now refer to as Christian liberties. That's, that's understanding this. There is a kingdom standard, but there's also Christian liberties. Kingdom standard is simply this. It's knowing that we are going to be obedient, as Pastor Vinny said, to the things that God tells us to do. We're going to serve one another. That's what God says. We're going to give. That's what God says. We're going to go to church. That's what God says. We understand that there are things that God tells us to do. That's not open for negotiation. We're going to do those things. Those are kingdom standards. But then there's other things that are Christian liberties. That means recognizing that the Bible doesn't specifically say that you can't do these things, so I'm not going to force them onto you. There's a big difference between kingdom standards and Christian liberties. We need to learn to use our discernment to be able to navigate through the God, the grave, and the gray. The things that God tells us to do, the grave being the things that he tells us not to do, and the gray. The things that's kind of like, eh. You didn't know that was in the Bible, did you? Here's an Hebrew version of it. Eh. Greek version of it. Eh. American version of it. Eh. Or in America we say, man, you do you. Understanding that there is a difference between each of them. We're going to absolutely be people that follow God's instructions, but we got to be careful that we're not putting things and adding things to the cross. Man, when I, when I first got saved, man, I, I got saved in a very legalistic environment, to say the least. Um, when, when we got radically saved, I remember that following week, we went and got baptized. That's what you do. I was instructed, hey, now that you're saved, you got to get baptized. So that very next week, they held a special baptism just for me and Megan. We went and got baptized. As soon as I came out the water, I felt this newness of life, but I also heard someone whisper in my ear, hey, brother, now that you're baptized, you got to take that earring out and make sure you keep that tattoo covered. Literally. First thing I heard. So I'm like, all right, great. And what I would often hear people say, if you are saved, this is what you'll do. If you're saved, this is what it looks like. If you're saved, then you read the Bible. If you're saved, then you serve. If you're saved, then you give. 
And what it creates is this, if I don't do these things, or if I fall short of these things, then I lose my salvation. So you end up living your life feeling as if that salvation is this carrot that God dangles in front of your face, and God forbid if you make one mistake, it's gone. I grew up in a church discipline where if you miss church, you've missed God. Like literally, like you couldn't go on vacation. You couldn't do anything except, man, if you don't go to church, then you've missed it altogether. So now we were in this environment. I grew up in a church place where it's like, hey, um, you better make sure that the women are wearing dresses and they can wear just a little bit of makeup, but you can't put on too much makeup because that's too much like the world. I'm trying to help y'all understand what, what, what it looks like when we add to the cross. I, I was told that, hey, you need to tithe your time in prayer. So God forbid if I prayed for two hours and didn't get that 40 minutes in, then I'm basically not saved that day. I got to start all over again the next day. I'm trying to help you to understand what it does to people when we add to the cross. Because we add it, if you're saved, you'll do this. But if we only understood, it actually should be, since you're saved, this is what God invites you to do. Since you are saved, he invites you to go into a time of prayer and spending time with him. Since you are saved, you have an opportunity to be set apart. Since you are saved, he invites you to be able to be in fellowship with him and to serve God's people. Since you are saved, we work from salvation, not for it. Man, when Megan and I were coming up, let me tell you, everything was a sin. Everything was a sin. I got saved two weeks in. They were like, hey, brother, so you know, um, I, I know that you said that you used to make rap music. Man, that's really cool, man. If you got any collection, man, you got to throw it out. I'm like, man, I got an extensive CD collection. Like, man, that's just going to tempt you, brother. You better throw every single one of them CDs out. If, that's, if you're saved, you'll get rid of it. Great. Got rid of every single thing that I had. If you're saved then, man, you, you better stop going to the movies because you know that there's, 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 there's sinners in, in the movie theater and, and, and it, can, it can rub off on you. Literally, it can, rub, it can rub off on you. As if the blood of Jesus is so weak that me simply being in proximity with someone that's not a follower of Christ, that I'm somehow going to... You, you, you better not... So we, we got rid of everything. We got rid of our movie collection. We got rid of our CDs. And, and I love movies. We, we, couldn't, we couldn't dance no more. We couldn't do anything. It was like, hey, man, you are separate. Be ye separate. And they're quoting these scriptures, now that I'm mature in the faith, completely out of context. But they're quoting these scriptures to justify why you can and can't do different things. I got into a car accident. And, and when I'm going to physical therapy, my therapist said, like, hey, you know what's going to help you? If you do some yoga stretches. Great. I start doing yoga. My back starts feeling better. I go to church. My pastor's like, hey, man, I see that you're doing much better. How are you doing better, man? I'm like, man, I'm doing yoga. Oh, my God. <laughs> yoga is demonic. Do you know the origin stories of yoga? You better not do yoga because if you do, you're inviting demonic spirits into I'm like, bro, I'm just stretching. I promise you, I'm not doing any chanting. I'm not doing any of that. I'm just literally just stretching, and it's helping my back. Bro, you can't do that. So I'm walking with a limp for an extra two years because I'm not allowed to stretch. <laughs> what are we doing? We, we, then it got, it got really interesting because then I had another Christian friend of mine came to me, and I was like, hey, man, like, you know, Merry Christmas. He's like, man, Christmas is pagan. Have you ever done research on an origin? I'm like, I thought that was Jesus' birthday. Nope, he wasn't even born in December, my brother. And he began to rumble off. I'm like, hey, man, I just, I feel like I just want to enjoy the season. No, brother, we're be ye separate. Couldn't enjoy Christmas without dealing with condemnation. 
Valentine's Day? No. Do you know the origin story of, of Valentine's We can't do anything. And now we all know Halloween. That's the devil's birthday, right? <laughs> I immediately had to go to my kids and look them in the eyes and say, listen, we're, we're not going to walk around the neighborhood and talk to people and get free candy anymore. We're going to go to the local church. I'm going to dress y'all up like a makeshift angel, and you're going to go from trunk to trunk. And, and that's going to be the new thing that we're going to do now. They were like, I hate my life. <laughs> I really was trying to find a picture of De Niro and Keith Jr. when my mom took them to trunk or treat, and they were like makeshift angels, and my mom put curtains on them and these old things. Like, that was, that was their upbringing in life. But the crazy thing is this, after we went through years of doing that, then we had moved and then we started going to Celebration Church in Jacksonville. And I came from a place where if you don't wear a suit to church because God deserves your best. So somehow if I wear a t-shirt that God's going to be angry with me. So when I show up at Celebration Church and I'm, I'm seeing people with shorts on, flips flops on, tattoos and earrings, and that's the pastor, I'm like, what in the world is going on? I'm about to interrupt the service and say, Lord, I need you to come down and rain fire and judgment. This place is a cult. Because I'm honestly seeing for the first time Christians who are actually enjoying their lives. They're, they're actually smiling. They're, they're actually happy. And I'm like, man, like, you're filled with that much happiness, you must be sinning. Because, because when you when you living for God, it's got to be hard and it's got to be difficult and you got to be ye separate. Man, I'm hanging out with some of my Christian friends, man, and, and man, they like smoking cigars. I'm like, what is going on? I, I see friends that are, that are occasionally drinking a little bit of drink. I'm like, man, like the Lord is not in Jacksonville, Florida. I'm really trying to wrap my mind around him. And then one of my friends had invited me to his house for Halloween. I'm like, great, I'm going to go to his house for, for, for trunk or treat for the fall festival. Man, we go around the neighborhood, and I'm like, what is going on? Like, and he's like, man, this is a great time to fellowship, man. I walk around, talk to my neighbors. I'm, I'm inviting them to come to church. I'm like, huh? Is that, is, that even, is that even possible? And I began to get introduced to this other idea that there's a lot of gray areas that, unfortunately, legalism puts boundaries on and then projects it onto God's people. It creates a lot of conflict. And, and when I began to travel and be exposed to different Christians, I began to get this understanding of this idea of Christian liberties. And when I began to recognize and seeing people who were experiencing freedoms in areas where other churches are experiencing bondage, God gave me this one thought. He said, Keith, if you could only understand that my blood is good enough. If you could only help them to understand that, yes, I have kingdom standards, but there's a lot of Christian liberties, and we've got to stop projecting our cultural perspectives and our own personal opinions and our own feelings and our own struggles and putting it on the people of God. We're literally doing what the Pharisees did, where Jesus said, you're putting things on people that you can't even live up to. And when you look out at the church and we're not staying in our own lane, we're end up projecting things onto people that we ourselves are incapable of caring for ourselves. I'm here to free somebody up that Jesus is enough, that absolutely there is kingdom standards and there's a way that God wants us to live our lives. But please help me to help me to speak to you today and let you understand that Jesus is enough, that his blood is enough, that when he said it is finished on the cross, that was enough. You don't have to work for salvation. You work from salvation, that his blood is enough. I quickly learned a valuable lesson that everything isn't a sin, it's our relationship to it. For one person, drinking is a sin because they can't handle it because of their background and their history. For another person, it's not as big of a deal. 
For one person, they can't go into certain environments because of the history and the background connected to it. For another person, it's not as big of a burden. We got to make sure that I'm not taking my personal struggles and projecting it onto people who don't have those same struggles. I, I can't take the things that I'm free in and make sure that I'm forcing people who are struggling with it to experience it the way that I am. Legalism is when we add to the cross. But, but hear me, when we're overly secular, it's when we reduce what the cross requires from us. There's an area where we have to understand there is absolutely a kingdom standard that God doesn't say, now that I've allowed my son to die on the cross, there's no standards anymore. He doesn't say that. But what he's saying is, let's make sure we keep the main thing the main thing. And let us stop arguing about things that God never told us to argue about. Being in the kingdom is understanding that salvation is free, but it does cost us something. I'm not working for salvation. I'm working from it. Paul, in the book of Romans, he's talking to these people groups, and he's helping them to understand, bro, if you, if you don't want to eat this food, man, there's, there's grace for our differences. Bro, if, if you do want to eat these foods, there, there's grace for our differences. You're free in Christ. I'm not telling that you can or you can't do these things. It's your relationship to it. Don't put yourself in the area of your weakness and expect God's strength, but don't put your weaknesses on other people trying to reduce their strength. It's understanding that there's grace for our differences. I want to give us three simple thoughts that we can solidify that helps us move forward because many of us are maybe roommates with someone who has a different perspective. We may be in a family with people who have a different perspective. And I want to give us these quick thoughts that are really meant to help encourage us. Here's the first thing. Unity does not mean uniformity. Unity doesn't mean uniformity. Uniformity means everything looks exactly the same. We're uniform. That's not what Jesus says, and that's not what Paul says. He says, I want us to be unified, and there's grace for our differences. Think about how we look in our very own families. My daughter is different from me, but she's also the same as me. Caleb is different from me, but he's also the same as me. Keith Jr. is different from me, but he's also the same as me. So there are certain decisions and behaviors that they have that are different, but at the end of the day, we're still part of the same family. There's grace for our differences. What if we began to look at our brothers and sisters in Christ and say, hey, we're a little bit different in the way that we express this, but at the end of the day, we're unified under Christ, so we're uniform even if we're not, we're united even if we're not uniform. There's grace for our differences. Here's the second thing I want us to, to remember. You can stand for your convictions without standing against someone else's. You can stand for what is important to you without standing against what's important to someone else. Let me say it this way. I don't have to stand on your convictions to exalt mine. I, I, I don't need to vilify what you believe in order to exalt what I believe. Can, can, I, be, can I be practical and real with y'all? Can I, can I be honest in church right now? Back in 2020, um, John Lewis had passed away. Civil rights icon. You can, you can Google him if you're unfamiliar with him. He's done so many incredible things to bring equality to people that look like me. So, spoiler alert, that matters to me. I, I honor that. I appreciate those who have gone before me that have made it so that we can have a church like this. I appreciate people that have fought and have given their lives for the kingdom concept of equality. So when he passed away, I went on to Instagram 
And, and, and this is what I posted. I'm literally looking at my post. I said, this is a post from Jonathan Lewis. It says, when you see something that is not right, not fair, not just, you have to speak up. You have to say something. You have to do something. John Lewis, RIP. Straightforward message. Tons of people liked it, loved it. It was all good. I had one person that hopped into my comments and they said, how about standing for the rights of the least powerful and protected, the unborn? I'm honoring a civil rights icon and someone who is a strong follower of Christ wanted to come into my comments page and to tell me, you're wrong for what you believe, how about doing this instead? And so my response was, I'm not sure what you're trying to say. If we are incapable of honoring the rights of a civil rights legend without the political narratives of, quote, well, what about this? We are worse off than I thought. Listen to me, I said this in my comment. I can care about black lives. I can care about police. I can care about the unborn because the kingdom doesn't force me to compromise. That is what this post is about. You know what I don't see when I go and check out at a grocery store and it's Breast Cancer Awareness Month? I never hear someone saying, well, what about AIDS research? I, I never hear anybody saying, well, what about diabetes? You don't care about diabetes? But somehow in the church, if I have a burden for something, then you feel you have to vilify the thing that God has given me a burden for. Oh, how we have fallen that we can't recognize that I can stand for what I believe without standing against what you believe. Where have we got it that I believe that if you believe something and I believe something, I have to vilify you for believing it. There's grace for our differences. Paul is telling the church, there's grace for your differences. Here's the final thought that I want to share with us. Agree to disagree. It's okay to agree to disagree. A friend of mine, theologically sound friend of mine, he, he doesn't believe in, in women preachers. He, he doesn't believe in, in women in leadership and leadership and he quotes passages from the Bible to reinforce that belief. And, and, and I understand where he's coming from. When I read the Bible, I look at it differently. When, when I read the Bible, I, I consider context and I consider culture. I, I consider the time in which it was written. I, I consider all of these complex nuances when I'm interpreting the Word of God. I look at the nature of God, the character of God, the continuity of God. And before I can build a doctrine off of a single scripture or even three scriptures, I make sure that I, it fits into the continuity of the character of God from Old to New Testament. So when I was talking with him, I said, hey man, let me, I, I know why you feel the way that you do. I, I see the passages that you're quoting from Paul. There's three of them, two from Paul and, and one from Peter. I get it. Um, but let me ask you this. What is the gospel? He said, man, to simplify the gospel is Jesus. I said, great. So we agree that the gospel is Jesus. So if I'm not mistaken, Mary was the first one to carry the gospel. If I'm not mistaken, when you look at the gospel, women were the primary financial supporters of the ministry of Jesus. 
When, when I look and I see when Jesus was resurrected, he looked at a woman and said, hey, can you go back and let them know that I'm alive? And that was the first time the gospel was preached. But wait, there's more. Do you not realize that the book of Romans, when Paul wrote it, he gave it to a woman named Phoebe. He said, go to the church of Rome, stand in front of them and teach them what I just said. I said, I don't know about you, but that's the gospel and that's women preaching it. But we can agree to disagree. You, you are free to believe what you believe and I am free to believe what I believe because there's grace for our differences. There's grace for our differences. I still love you as a brother in Christ, but there's grace for our differences. I feel like we've lost the nuance of recognizing that there is grace for our differences. I realize that it's not always that easy. And I realize that some people's differences may be diametrically opposed to everything in the way that you're wired. In that instance, then you place boundaries and you move forward. But we don't have to vilify one another. You believe this, I believe that. I don't think we can move forward because of our belief systems are different. And that's okay, but I'm going to go this way, you go that way, but I still love you as a brother in Christ. There's grace for our differences, church. The ultimate goal of the Christian is to glorify God, to edify believers, and to have a good reputation amongst unbelievers. Romans 14 says, stop condemning each other and let God determine who is just. Romans 15, one and two. We must be considerate of those who are sensitive to things. We're not gonna force ourselves on others. 1 Peter 2, 11 making sure that we have a good reputation that honors God before the world. Galatians 5.13, we are called to be free. So brothers and sisters, let's use that freedom to serve one another. What Paul wants us to understand is that love matters most. That I don't have to vilify people because their burdens and their struggles, their passions are different from mine. There's grace for our difference. I don't have to force my convictions onto other people. There's grace for our differences. Hear me, fans. You can't claim freedom for yourself while depriving it from someone else. Stay in your lane. Run the race that God has called you to run. You run it with endurance. You run it with passion. You run it with conviction. Don't look over at somebody else and cause them to stumble. But you keep looking and saying, I'm pressing towards a high calling of my faith in Christ Jesus. And I'm going to do the best that I can do because I'm called to this life. But I am not going to force my convictions onto someone else. If we have relationships, we may be invited into conversation. If we're in the same church, we may be going through discipleship together. But I am not going to force myself onto anyone else. We have to recognize this, that for anyone else to lay the claim or the authority to determine the conviction and conduct of someone else would be to usurp the exclusive rights of Jesus Christ. And we're going back to the primeval sin of doing God's work for him. It is not our place to do such things. I don't know where you are on this journey, but if I can be honest with you, we are all in the process of being sanctified. God is working on something for every single one of us. One person struggles with drinking and another one doesn't. Don't judge. One person is struggling with understanding what it means to be a follower of Christ. One isn't. Don't judge. Let's run our race. Let's literally help one another. Let's make sure that we can finish this thing and to make sure that we are unified, not uniform. We stand for what we believe, but we don't stand against other believers. And we can agree to disagree because that is the grace that God has given us for our differences.
Maybe you're here with us today and, and you recognize that you don't have a relationship with Jesus. That, that when you look at your life, that you don't even know this liberty that Christ has given you. We absolutely have kingdom standards, but maybe because of people projecting their own struggles and being legalistic, it has made Jesus unattractive to you. What I wanted to do is let you know that Jesus came, he lived, he died just for you to invite you into a relationship, a lifelong journey of you becoming more and more like him. And I wanna invite you to respond to this. So with every head bowed and with every eye closed, I, I want to pose this question. If you're ready to say yes to Jesus, you're ready to receive the finished work of the cross, I wanna invite you to simply lift your hands up on a count of three so that we can include you in a prayer and so that our team can respond and give you the adequate resources to help you to begin to walk out this life in freedom. One, two, three. Amen, God bless you, amen, amen, amen. Those joining us online, God bless you, amen. Church, we put our hands together for every single person in here that is saying yes to Jesus. If you're one of the ones who say yes to Jesus, I want you to do two things. You can text the word DECIDE to 407-559-4747. You can also make sure that you connect with one of our people that are outside in the foyer. We would love to simply give you some instructions and some encouragement on what your next steps are going to look like. I want all of us to stand on our feet as we prepare to be dismissed. I, I wanna remind you that if you know that your next step is to connect with someone because you need help, make sure you take it. I, I wanna remind you to pray about what it is that God wants you to do and to give in partnership with the vision that he's given his church and what it is he wants you to bring um, at the end of the month. And I also wanna invite you to engage fully in the word and the presence of God. I wanna pray for us, pray over us, and then we're gonna go on about our way. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the grace that's made available and that there's grace for our differences. God, I pray in the name of Jesus that Lord, we can recognize that we are connected with one another and we are connected to you. So Father, I come and I pray that you break the chains of legalism off of us. I also pray that the Holy Spirit inspires us to live a kingdom and godly life because we are set apart. So Father, I pray for kingdom standards and Christian liberties and we can recognize the distinctions and the grace in the gray areas. So Father, I pray that you empower us that you strengthen us and that you bless us, that you give us patience with one another, that we can run in our lanes, we can encourage those who are in different lanes than us, that we can link arms and we can be kingdom representatives. So may the Lord bless you, may the Lord keep you, may he make his face to shine upon you and may he give you supernatural peace. In the name of Jesus, amen, amen, and amen. Church, we put our hands together. Today's message. We'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast and review and share what you've heard today. If you'd like more content like this or you'd like to connect with us, go to celebrationorl.org. We hope you join us next time.